Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 489 on Wednesday, the 31st of August, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And after several weeks of no news whatsoever, which has caused some of our listeners to get creative with Photoshop or dig out some of our old promotional photographs, we'll be checking our atlas to see how sandy Geneva is. We'll tell all our Ferrari-owning friends not to drive too fast, and we find out about some who check the tiniest of details. But first, we do have a little bit of follow-up, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> news did happen in the four weeks since we did a news show. Yes. It doesn't normally happen in August, but it did this time. Yes. Mm. Yes. One of the main things that happened whilst we were away is that the Geneva Motor Show was again for the fourth year on the trot cancelled and now will happen in Qatar only because they were going to share it between Geneva and Qatar the beginning and the end of the year. But now it's just going to be Qatar. I'm sure this is in no way related to money and greed. Never. It's just going to turn into a, a local Middle Eastern show at this point, isn't it? Yes. People aren't going to be shipping journalists from all over the world to Qatar. You know, you can't just go for a day, so it's never going to get the coverage that Geneva in Geneva mm-hmm. got. Yeah. I mean, what's it going to be? It's going to be the the million horsepower vaporware supercars, and that's it really, isn't it? Well, there was also a lot of comments about the government of Qatar and human rights. Oh yeah, I was I was laying that to the side for just one moment, but that's a again, that's another aspect. I think I shared our, our long Slack conversation on Twitter about how much we were going to cover it. And actually we we sort of doubled the coverage we were originally going to get already. <laughs> yes. And, and as you say, I mean the manufacturers themselves it'll be eye-wateringly expensive to put a stand there and then ship everybody out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is only going to be the Middle East that are out there and therefore it will be their specific cars goodbye geneva right do you want to take us to spain then yes yeah not great news ford is delaying the investments it was planning to make in uh the valencia plant the idea was that it had well in june it announced that it was going to upgrade valencia to manufacture evs and now they're saying oh hang on a minute we're not going to do that just yet Mm. We're revising our outlook for Europe. That right at the minute means we're going to have to just put these plans on on hold. Ford also have been cutting 3,000 salaried and contract jobs in North America and India. Let's see where that plays out. Yeah, because this is on the back of manufacturers beginning to mention that their order books are being less full. They've got some models which are fantastically popular Mm. right at the minute, especially over here and others which just don't seem to be. Yeah, It's worth mentioning that Ford had applied in May for Spain's EU pandemic relief funds. It had been uh, allocated €106 million. Euros. Uh, they withdrew that application before making this announcement as well. Oh, okay, right. I'm going to stick with America, and this is the news that Stellantis, well, FCA, prior to Stellantis, were investigated for diesel emission probe in the US. Mm-hmm. And they pleaded guilty to the criminal charge, uh, criminal conspiracy for the diesel emission fraud probe. They are going to end up paying around three hundred million to the U.S. Justice Department. This is on top of, I think it's another uh, hundred, uh, oh, three hundred million in a civil penalty and one hundred eighty-three million in compensation on a class action lawsuit. 
But this is interesting to note that the American FCA group, formerly Chrysler as well, mm. are paying $300 million, whereas Volkswagen, the German company, have paid $30 billion. I'm sure many people will tell you exactly why that's a, that's a problem. They've got to the end of it. And they've, I think Stellantis just basically went, we need to pull a, a line under this. That's why they pleaded guilty. Yeah. Didn't want to expensive yeah, film there. Right. Uh, some less good news for Northumberland. This is really grim news, actually. It's, it's uh, you can't even put, put any kind of icing on this. British Vault, who uh, we've talked about a number of times over the last few months, been talking about that they were going to build a, well, they plan to build a massive battery factory up in Northumberland, up near up near the, the Nissan plant in, in Sunderland. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Politicians have talked about this because one of the things everyone's talking about is we need to be able to make batteries for vehicles and other stuff much closer to home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really, really important to have the, the ability to do that, the capability to do that, uh, and to have these factories. They are saying that they are on life support right at the moment. They are minimizing spending as the, as they focus on unlocking the next round of funding and critical power supply infrastructure, uh, according to a report. It's not looking good at all there. Now, obviously, British Vault aren't the only company who are doing this, who are, are looking to build battery factories in the UK. It's It's not the end of the world but this was the flagship one. this was the the big one that everyone was touting and it, it yep. seems to have turned into a bit of a, a sully hull project well that part i think part of the problem for them is that the funding is released in stages when they get to milestones which is obviously what happens with any massive it's huge large infrastructure project infrastructure project yeah. yeah it's exactly what happens but they are struggling to achieve these milestones reading between the lines uh, and mm. they and they desperately need to cash. The, the next round of funding is not apparently to be unlocked until February next year or around Ooh. that time. It would mean that they're. I mean, according to this Guardian article, there's hardly anybody doing any building work because they're just trying to limp through as much as much as they can. And as you say, this was the flagship battery factory for the UK, and if they're struggling. The pie in the sky thing that's supposed to be happening in Coventry, yeah, that one, and which- the one down in the southwest. All these others will just, oh, it, it's just, it's really, as you said at the start, that there is no positives to spin here. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's yeah. I'm, I'm scanning through the Guardian article that'll be linked in the show notes, I'm trying to work out where there are any positives to take from this. I, I assume that that. That, that some of this is going to be down to the fact that things are costing far more than they probably originally met, intended, and that's why they're burning through the money more quickly. Yeah. We'll see. Who knows, really? Yep. Right, I'm going to take us on to new news. Mm-hmm. This is not good news for the Toyota Motor Corporation, an affiliate of theirs who builds their trucks and buses, Hino Motors Limited. They have been found uh, a few weeks ago to be falsifying emission data and that was initially thought to be from 2013. Turns out after Toyota have done an internal investigation, it goes back to 2003 at least. Ouch. Yes. Uh, we've covered previously with, I think, Mitsubishi a few years ago, got found out for falsifying. Yep. 
Uh, and Subaru as well. And Subaru, yeah. Obviously really important and uh, implies, you know, it's it's just, it's false information. So, you, you know, you can't do that. Now, what Toyota have done as a consequence of this, I mean, there's a couple of quotes in here, which are, are well, there's one particular quote in here that, that needs to be taken on board. Hino's president has apologised to everybody and said that the management took its responsibility seriously because the internal investigation also found that engineers knew there were problems but the culture of the company and this is amazing that this is in a report for a japanese company it really is weren't able to tell superiors look that's not right it's it, the information's not correct uh, and this continued on and on uh, the president also said he'd received a message from ikeo toyota uh, that's obviously toyota's president who'd said the misconduct at Hino betrayed the trust of all stakeholders. That's one heck of a slap down in Japanese. That That is just like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling to think how it could be more... Could just be more. <laughs> it's along the lines of what the, <clears throat> do you think you're playing at? Yeah. Uh, and also, it should be noted that Toyota have dissolved any connection with Hino yeah. now. So they'll be looking for a new uh, partner or affiliate to help build the trucks and buses. Right, do you want to continue the wonderful news that seems to be the start oh, of this it's, show? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just like the rest of the world here. The automotive the, the, the automotive industry is having as much fun as the rest of us, really. Um, Stellantis, semiconductor issues, and they're going to be pausing production of Peugeot SUVs and uh, Opel SUVs destined for mainland Europe. Um yeah, I mean, Sosho is going to stop production of the 3008 and 5008 uh, models. Opel is going to, to stop five shifts at Zaragoza in northern Spain. Everything's meant to resume again on Monday. That was yesterday. Was it? No, it was two days ago. Normally it would have been yesterday, but today's Wednesday. Oh, yeah. uh, so so it was meant to all then, then resume on Monday. So yes, it was a long stop over the weekend. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's just just blooming difficult not only that they've got problems in italy where they're i think it's europe's largest van factories had to stop because mm-hmm. they can't or part of it had to stop because they can't get yeah. the peugeot and citroen engines yeah that's not great i mean it's just showing that it's it's not just semiconductors there's still massive supply chain issues across all of uh, all of the aspects of cars uh, yeah. You know, in vehicles and and the bits that make them <laughs> to make them able to run on the road. Mm-hmm. I when you look at all the pressures from the supply chain side of things, then you look at the regulatory pressures that are on. Then there's obviously the talk of some countries going and Europe itself going tighter on regulatory things, and then yeah. you look at the costs of energy, for example, and you just say, "I am so glad I am." not a car manufacturer, and I'm just sitting on the side and poking and saying, oh, I wouldn't do it like that <laughs> from the safety of my own couch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of the things that I was talking to someone about this this recently, and, and folks were saying, oh, have you noticed any of the car dealerships? It used to be, up until a few years ago, that they were just packed. They were door to door to door. You could barely open the door of a car on a car lot. It were just All the lots were just full. So now they're getting creative having to park more sideways along the front because they've just got nothing mm. to fill in here. Because, of course, nobody orders. Everybody just walks up and buys, unless you're European and you've just moved here and you have to wait two weeks for your registration plates. 
Okay. Well, as long as, as long as we, nobody we know has been inconvenienced like that, that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, the, the real message of that is, is there's so much that just the dealers just don't have the, the, the supplies. And as soon as they arrive, they're being bought off the back of the transporter. Mm, crazy times. Right, Ferrari. They are recalling more than 23,500 cars, which goes back to roughly 2005, I believe, almost everything they've made since then, because there is an issue with the brake fluid reservoir where the cap on the top of it doesn't actually vent as it's supposed to, which could cause, and this is the NHTSA put this, a brake fluid leak that may lead to a partial or total loss of brake function. Now, considering that one of Ferrari's things is they're quite quick, I would like my brakes to work. That's very much a could, not a will lead. Yes. So yes, if the vent on your brake on your yeah, it just means the muscle that won't behave. If the thing, if the thing doesn't <laughs> reservoir doesn't behave properly, in theory, if it, leaks. it could lead to that, but it's really unlikely that it will. We use a Dremel. So Ferrari owners, if you can't be bothered doing the recall, just get a Dremel, drill a small hole in the top of that nice aluminium cap, be fine. Yeah. Okay. Other advice may be better to, because I'm not sure our public liability will cover us for that. <laughs> Alternatively, contact your Ferrari dealer. We've only got two million of public liability. Um, alternatively, <laughs> con- contact your, your your Ferrari dealer for proper advice. Yes. <laughs> don't try this at home, folks. No, don't. Don't. Right, well, do you want to uh, take us to, well, something a bit more positive? Yeah, this is really good. Osprey have opened their... Uh, Osprey, the the charging network, have opened a new charging hub at Brackley in Northamptonshire, so just south of Silverstone, and where there's like three roundabouts in quick succession on the A43, for those of you who are aware of these things. They've opened this new charging site, and what's notable, or most notable about this, um, has eight chargers, but they are all designed to be more accessible than traditional charging. They're, they are curb-free. They have lightweight cables. They're just generally, uh, the screens and the buttons are positioned quite low. So they're trying a new way of doing things to make it simply more accessible to more people. Mm. They've also got the cable held up, you know, a bit like a, uh, like a, yeah. in a petrol forecourt with the, the way that the, the, the it's it's so so the cables are kind of neutrally suspended. So, I mean, those of you who've plugged in EVs and stuff before know that the the plugs um, that go into the car and the cables themselves can be really quite unwieldy. Mm. This is a and it can be awkward to access the charger around the back of the car or, or a challenge that Andrew has mentioned before and reviews is you know one car far too close to the next one and uh, making it too difficult. Uh, and another thing about these charges is that they're not mounted on a curb behind. It's as if they've got a parking space to themselves and they sort of stand in the middle of that. That yeah. means that whether you're charging, whether your um, charge port is at the rear or at the front, it's only a short move of the cable in either direction yeah. to be able to do that. And that works obviously depending on whether you go in forwards or you go in backwards, then it doesn't matter which side of the car it's at. So it doesn't matter if you're rear charging or front charging. Um, it should be just as convenient. Taking elements of you know the petrol diesel forecourt and the way that you can, either side can access them coming alongside them, and it doesn't matter which which side from you know that your your fuel goes in. It is 
it, that's what I'm very much reminded of when I look at these. And I think it's a great idea. They're sacrificing probably oh, across the whole thing, probably two or three bays. Yeah. Just to make sure that it's accessible. So they're, they've done this in a, in a manner that means that they won't maximize the acreage if they wanted to do everything down to the finest detail. But mm. it does mean that people will be able to easily use them or more easily use them, shall we say. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's how, one of how, these things that benefits everyone. Yeah. Sure, you can say, well, it's accessibility. It's like, yeah, but it's just easier for for all of us. Yeah, exactly. And and they're saying that this is the minimum really that should happen on on, on their future sites. Yeah. Which is so this is see. this is the first. This is the kind of Mark II site, and then moving forward, uh, they'll try and make this. They'll, they'll make sure that they've got this. So this is the polar opposite. Uh, uh, no pun intended. Uh, of of shoving a charger in the corner of a of a car park somewhere. Yeah. The only thing I noticed was it. I don't know how well illuminated it is. I see there's some street lights, but I don't know how well illuminated it would be in in the dark. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't appear not- to be a cover either at the moment. And I know no. that the, that could be a delay thing because of planning permission and the way that they work. I was about to say covers get difficult because planning permission. Yeah. I think this is, I think it looks, it looks really good. I, I really hope that this is something which catches on because it looks smart. It looks sensible and it looks so much easier to use. Really yeah. a, bit, a step change that. Yeah. I know the BSI are working with um, organizations to mm. raise awareness of, of how difficult it is for people who don't have ease of mobility to use such a thing. And, and it is keeping them out of the market of an EV or whatever. It's good to see this is happening. Yep. Right, I'm going to take us to Devon now. Uh, and just a quick one. <laughs> just a quick one. To, this is the Devon County Council have teamed up with Exeter University to create a system in which they can report the carbon emissions for every road work job they do or all the jobs they do on the highways. Now, what mm-hmm. they one bit slightly... Mm, worries me, but they're saying they're encouraging contractors to report the carbon emissions rather than saying you must, but baby steps, I suppose, it this way. Yeah. But what is very interesting when you read through the BBC News article is that you find out, unsurprisingly, that every council reports it in themselves in their own way. Goodness, what a surprise. I know, it's amazing. It's like there's there's no joined up thinking going on at all. But what we're led to believe from this is that all the councils are now looking at how Devon is doing this and they will see this trial period and if they can adopt it and then we will have a better picture. But I wonder how long it is actually because the the obvious end result of this is anything they do will any repairs they do will create I know. carbon emissions. So at what point do they go, hang on, we're exceeding our limits, we just won't repair? Yeah, d- d- as opposed to, okay, so we're going to do this, it's going to take a little bit more, we're going to use more emissions, uh, we're going to create more emissions doing this properly now. That covers five years or something. So that we don't have to do it improperly three times, but that's yeah. unlikely to be what happens, isn't it? There won't be that ability to report that and say, mm. we're doing this now, so the year looks bad. However, you need to average this over 10 years or whatever it is they, they can do. Yeah. Hopefully, somebody listens to what we've just said and goes, actually, we better throw that in as an extra column. <laughs> yeah. Aye. Well, you hope so, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you want to, uh, talking of stuff that really doesn't sound that positive from another council? Oh, Cambridge. 
Cambridge worse than Oxford? Well, I don't know. It seems like they're having a fist fight of who could be worst. They are the Greater Cambridge Partnership, which is a partnership, if you agree with them by the sound of it, is proposing a £5 charge to be introduced by 2026 to 2027. So actually, that's just far enough away that we might all have forgotten that they said they were going to do this. Which would affect private vehicles. So you've noticed many of the congestion zones or many of the low emission zones or whatever else they're being euphemistically called have focused on uh, commercial vehicles and buses, taxis, etc. Yeah. Cambridge aren't doing that. It's private vehicles. And this charge, this £5 charge, would affect them between 7am and 7pm on weekdays. As part of that, they're saying they're looking to improve public transport. Now, they said there was a public consultation last year and showed that there was public support for proposals to improve public transport and reduce pollution and congestion. I would point out that that's different from there was public support for a charge to enter the city. Yes. Did they ask the question... How would you feel if we charged you £5 a day if... No, and because this is important, because it's actually, it's not just like these normal systems where you cross a boundary and you get your one charge. Mm. It's even if you are within the the boundary yeah, and it's every time you want to use it, your car. That's what they're talking about here because they're saying otherwise it erodes the positives that will come from banning cars, basically. Yes. And the, the trouble with this, of course, is they say they want to use all this money to invest in the public transport system, whereas if they actually do it successfully, then nobody will bring their cars in, so they won't have any money to improve the public transport system at all. So that, that always seems like a very strangely circular argument to me. Yeah. Basically, we're going to cut off the revenue stream that, we need, that we've decided, we've declared that we're going to have in order to make these improvements. And so now we can't make them. So what they're saying is that the transport director for Greater Cambridgeshire Blah, Peter Blake is saying this is a once in a generation opportunity to create a world class transport network for Greater Cambridge and a wider area to drive a real step change in the way we travel. I wonder how he got to work. Hmm. Um, they're publishing many things. Well, because they're talking about as well, that they, they really mean is that there is things like even if you go to hospital, you'll be charged. Yeah. Unless you can prove you are too ill to use public transport. Yeah. Get good there luck with that. Way. Okay. You've got to get clinical proof that you're ill mm-hmm. there's and, and also things like the the people who work in healthcare or social care they will be charged as well probably every by the way sorry everyone is going to be charged the registered bus services are pretty much going to be charged actually no they get a hundred percent discount that's not quite fair at all uh, as yeah. do taxis uh, as do minicab. Watch for a surge in the number of private hire vehicles there are in, in, in Cambridge. And the one that really reiterates that this isn't about let's make clean air or anything like that is that they will charge zero emission vehicles as well. Again, yeah. f- with the statement that if we allowed a ca- if we allowed uh, something to escape from this this coverage, then people would use that, and that means that we don't have the benefits of no. Yeah, no cars on the roads. They're being upfront about it. <laughs> well, give them that. There's a positive there. But they're also saying that for motorbikes and scooters, they will be charged the same as a car. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense. Basically, you've got to be a university student on a bicycle. And I, I get the funny feeling that if they found a way to charge the bicycles, they would. Yeah, it's just the... Uh, it, it's another. It's another one of these systems that... 
essentially says if you're wealthy, you can do what you like. Because mm-hmm. that's what they're saying here. You pay that you pay your thing and you can carry on, irrespective of whether you have to do that or not. It's there are lots of holes in this, there are lots of issues. I applaud the sentiment of trying to make the roads nicer for everyone to enjoy, but by excluding a type of transport, you are falling into the same trap of where we are now. Yes. Emergency vehicles are exempt. <laughs> so that wasn't a given, given the rest of this. Military no. vehicles are exempt. Disabled ve- disabled tax class vehicles are exempt. Breakdown uh, services are exempt. No, no, no. Wait. They only want to allow one vehicle per person, not you. So, whereas uh, someone may have a blue badge in, and that they can move yeah, into Yeah, because you might need different cars. neighbors or different friends or different family members taking them different places. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, there's, anyway, there, look, there is a whole load of stuff. There's an excellent Twitter thread on, on this by Mark, uh, Mark Williamson, at Mark R. Williamson, uh, who's a BBC journalist based in Cambridge and news editor of BBC Cambridge breaking this down it's well worth it if you are in or around the cambridge area you poor souls then it's it's worth a read there will be a link in the show notes quickly related to that where oxford are not taking this lying down and they're talking about using anpr to charge people to enter (laughs) oxford as well we thought we were cruel but they've been even worse so we've got to up it it's a typical it's the i don't know what is it oxford cambridge vote race perhaps it's basically you've got to show your papers to be allowed into a place now (laughs) i have avoided oxford for years because it's just a terrible place to try to get into get around and even get out of in fact i don't even like going past oxford It's not really an issue right at the minute, but no, 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 you're okay. In the, the past, moment. it has been a significant weekly, uh, two or three times a weekly issue. So. Just before we get to the end of the first part, though, the government is looking and investigating whether they need to change the rules for large vans because as they become electric, the number of batteries required to mean that they are feasible as an option tips them over the three and a half ton threshold which then makes them a a heavy goods vehicle technically yes so the government are investigating whether they need to have like a subcategory or something like this to avoid that otherwise then there's people having to stop for certain amounts of time and that sort of thing so i think i I think it would have to be really caveated if they were to permit this yes I, i think that this is actually a good idea I think in the short term, until technology moves us forward where our batteries yeah. are able to go the distances they, you know, similar to a, an engine now, an ICE uh-huh. engine now. Yeah. Basically, they're looking to to say, well, okay, if it's up to 4,250 kilos or four and a quarter tons, then what they're looking to do is say, well, actually, you can drive this on your standard B-class license if it's an alternatively fuel vehicle. Mm. I think I have to be careful about the definition of the alternative fuel vehicle but I, that means LPG. battery electric really <laughs> it means electric what was that lpg's back <laughs> yes um, yeah i don't know that counts I, I think it's a good idea i think that mm-hmm. i think that the you know the three and a half ton vans uh, as they stand have very good braking systems and all these kind of things which which weren't around when three and a half tons was was seen as the initial limit so from that point of view i think it's a good idea i think it will may cause confusion where there are 
strict weight limits in places. Mm. That's my one concern, actually. I think that from a driving point of view, I don't think it's a big deal. No, I think with the extra benefits of some technology that's been implemented in cabins these days, like the drowsiness and that sort of thing. And, and regen braking as well. Remember, they've got more braking. Absolutely. The regen braking will help on that worry side of thing. But I think they do need to keep it capped to a certain amount of time. Otherwise, mm. manufacturers may just go, oh, we don't have to develop that much further. Yeah, We're all well, right uh, this, is, this is very it's, true. It's that carrot stick thing because they, at the minute, all the manufacturers are being pushed by customers going, I really need it to do 400 miles, please, or go all day or whatever it is they want mm. them to do. And they're just not able to quite do that yet. Don't want that to be eased off. No, no, exactly. Anyway, that takes us to partway through the show. Uh, <laughs> where it, and it, that means it's time for Guilt Minute, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on, the hosting running. Uh, if you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month and you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We have a small range of merchandise available from our website and Spring Store, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. I need to change that. Merch is not available from our website or should not be available from our website because it's very difficult for me to post it to you these days. Uh, if you don't have any spare cash, we completely understand. Then you, you can help us by following for free from a podcast player and receive every show as they're released and by liking rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and many of you do, then thank you very much very much the last thing you can do of course is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues thank you everybody who does and thank mm. you everybody for the uh the fun that was had on twitter over the last few weeks and the nice comments on some of the stuff that we put out as well that's been yes that really appreciated yes it is it is good to know that you you do like the thing and that we put out and that you uh, uh do have questions and we were able to answer at least one of them i was able to answer well well done yes Right, do you want to take us to new new car news? Yes, and it's new new car news from this side of the pond. Mirka. Mirka. Hell yeah. Um, and oh, lynched in a minute. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Dodge is and Chrysler are discontinuing the Hemi, the Hemi V8. Very, very soon, if not already. They're trying to come up and explain what they're going to replace it with. And it looks like they're going to, at least in part, uh, replace it with an EV muscle car. So the first one of these has been shown as as a, a concept, really. Um, it's called the Dodge Charger Daytona SRT concept, and it's 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 a bit based on a Dodge Charger from the past, but it has 800 volt Banshee drivetrain with all wheel drive and erupt multi speed transmission. A push-to-pass power shot boost, and um, yes, uh, many other things. Uh, supposedly, it's going to be quicker than a Hellcat, which would point to, it says here in this article from The Drive, points to more than 717 horsepower. It can make lots of noise, as loud as 126 decibels, uh, which is as loud as a Hellcat is. And uh, Ooh, yes, it you'll get it taken off you in France and the UK then. I know, but that's don't, don't even start me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> here that that seems sort of quite sensible. I think it looks quite good. I I quite like the looks of it. I like the the fact that they've you can see where it is putting a nod to of the past. Yeah. But I like how they've been a bit clever with the aero because 
the the top grill is actually open and air runs basically over under a front wing yeah <laughs> and I, up I over the it, bonnet i think it looks great and i think there's lots of really clever touches and it's fun to make fun of hell yeah brother type stuff i think it's really really cool looking i love it yeah really like that and and it's you know shown in that dark dark purple as well on the on mm-hmm. the concept so that 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 helps win it as well yeah it's just cool looking it's clever i really want this to be successful yes do do make this please oh Don't it's got have it i mean it's got everything the concept. thing is what they've done is they've like gone right what do people complain about they complain about noise they complain about uh, the sound doesn't yeah, yeah and you know they're losing control and stuff so there's all sorts of dumb stuff like a jet fighter inspired starter button obscured by a flip-up cap pistol grip style trigger equipped shifter paddle shifters buttons to change drive modes from auto sport track and drag uh and just (laughs) there's just lots of the gimmicky stuff which to be honest mopar and stuff like the challengers have been doing since time immemorial yeah and it's all alluded to here it's great fun to make fun of it Honestly, I'd be making fun of it if it was petrol. I'd be making probably more fun of it if it's petrol. But yeah, they're carrying that sort of slight silliness into this. I love the wheels as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, into this. And, and I think it's cool. Really yep. cool. Absolutely. Concur. Right. I'm going to go uh, far end of the EV spectrum here. <laughs> yes, the other end. Uh, and this is a, a Scottish EV startup called Munro Vehicles. And they're based in Glasgow. And they are going to offer their electric 4x4 in the US from 2023. What they're doing is they're offering this to industrial operations. So it's the typically uh, mining projects. And it's starting mm-hmm. in Nevada uh, in 2023. And it's going to be 371 brake horsepower. It's one of the few commercial EVs that have things like um, permanent four-wheel drive with locking diffs, mm-hmm. and it has a decent towing and payload capacity, which is apparently around about the same as the Land Cruiser Commercial and the uh, Land Rover Defender hardtop. Yeah. If you can swallow the 75 grand cost and the fact it has about 168 miles, then but industrial sites will be able to cope with that well. Yes, exactly. So it'll be running from a, I would imagine it'll be hub run, charging overnight, charging between shifts, these kind of things. Really important for mining, of course, because you can go underneath, you don't have to, to try and then deal with any, any tailpipe emissions, all these kind of things. There is something else that is, that is really important here, which is why the, the American market is, is important. They, they plan to produce knockdown vehicle kits. Mm-hmm you would then assemble them in the US that will enable it to qualify for the seven and a half thousand dollar EV tax subsidy over here which applies to domestically built EVs only yes that by the way that new rule which we haven't covered because it happened when we were off and also because it is very much a US thing is causing all sorts of chaos as well where many companies well I notice every manufacturer is now saying how they're opening a battery plant in the US which is part of the whole reason behind the bill is you see, to- you see the you see the British vault story from earlier mm. you know what would solve that and get them funding immediately yep sorry guys it's gonna hurt for a bit but this is this is how you this is this is the massive carrot it's the massive carrot to consumers to then drag the big companies along yeah but that would require thinking let's not go there 
Do you want to take us to the designer's mood board anyway? Yes, designer's mood board. There's a new head of exterior design at the Lotus Technical Creative Center, and that is John Paul Gregory. Uh, He comes from previous roles at Aston Martin and at Bentley. Yes, he'll be working under Ben Payne. They'll be taking the lead on creating the range of all-new, all-electric lifestyle cars. Whatever a lifestyle car is. SUVs. They don't want to call them that because it's a sports car manufacturer. Yes, I know. I know. It it actually (laughs) means SUVs. So, yes. Well, the trouble is, actually, with Lotus, it might not mean SUVs. I mean, we know it kind of does. But pretty much any Lotus is a lifestyle car, really. It's not a car that you choose (laughs) on its practical benefits. (laughs) Is it? You, you know, are, and at least yes, is a You are choosing car, a lifestyle if you choose this car. <laughs> I don't you, think they mean it that way, though. <laughs> you could say that about just about anything, couldn't you, really? Mm. Yes. Yes, yeah. he says quickly backpedaling. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's move on. To speak so to anyway, us. yes, designer's mood board, shifting around. Uh, it was a very short stint at Aston Martin, wasn't it? Yes. Well, yes. Change, of, change of leadership, I think, helped all there. Yes. Anyway, awesome, awesome post. Should be a great job. Good yep. luck. Lunchtime read, and this is from Autocar. And I, I'm, I was astonished when I staggered across this this article. I think it's absolutely brilliant. But there is uh, an enthusiast investigating the long gone city centre dealerships. So this is an enthusiast from Edinburgh who was about in the eighties. Took tons of photographs of when Edinburgh had a lot of car dealerships in town, rather than where we all go nowadays, which is to these out-of-town palaces, huge, <laughs> yes, places. Uh, and he's got the, the autocar went around and they looked at what it's what is in the buildings now, if they're still there or if they're not and all the rest of it. And I just think it's a wonderful snapshot of time as mm-hmm. well, as much as anything. But there are some some insane cars, really, that <laughs> were photographed. But he didn't just, the photographer didn't just do the uh, the car dealers. He, he actually found the cars walking around as well. So th- I think this is excellent. They're just lovely period pictures. Yes. Of Edinburgh, when it was possible to take a car or even reasonable to take a car into the centre of Edinburgh. Yep. Really cool. And I, I love some of them where the perspective matches up perfectly with, with, yeah. with current day and it's, it's held up to like the, yeah. It's, it's very cool. Yes, it really is. nice story. Like that one a lot. Right, our list of the week, Alan. Uh, list of the week this week is from Goodwood Road and Racing. It's the seven best three-cylinder engines, which is a bit of a niche list, to be perfectly honest. Well, we've talked so much about EVs today. I, I know. I thought I'd throw an ice in there. <laughs> I don't. Oh boy, that's very strange. That's the wrong picture caption. Yes, I, I don't. I I can't. I can't think which one. Uh, which one I choose from here? There's there's lots of it's, it's a kind of strange choice. It's a, it's a it's a real eclectic mix. I mean, it goes from very tiny car to one incredibly fast car. Yes, I'm going to choose the one with the wrong picture captions. Uh, I'm going to choose the one k the Toyota one k r f e, uh, which is the one from the Igo, the C one, the one o seven, and the one o eight from that the the, the, the Peugeot. Uh, PSA group cars because that is just a fun little zippy car which is great for knocking around and and also great for uh, twenty four hour great for twenty four hour <laughs> endurance racing, racing. And, and all sorts of stuff <laughs> and it's almost completely bombproof. Why on earth they have decided to illustrate that with the Yaris, which never had that engine, I don't know. 
but somebody can't tell the difference between a previous generation Yaris and an iGo, and I don't think it's a dig at me. <laughs> Good choice. I won't. I won't say anything. Everybody it's a very needs to short There's only list. seven, but so other people might choose the next one down on the list. I almost did, and then people yeah. will choose the one after that. And it was yeah. lots of choice. Lots of choice. Yep. Do you want to take us to the and finally then? I can do. Yes. Uh, so the and finally this week is from the Autopian. It's called Meet the Adults Who Build Miniature Worlds, so their meticulously crafted toy cars will look real. I'm one of them. It says. Uh, by Mark Tucker, not me. It's, it's, saw it, I don't know, I started noticing this during the lockdowns when people were desperately trying to find something creative to fill their time. Mm. And yes, it started out with the little the little uh, Land Rovers. Yeah. That was the first account that I really noticed on this. But yes, people making essentially small dioramas for their, to try and to show off their, their these fantastic, fantastic models have been creating. And it's it's great. It is. I mean, the the detail these some of these go into is like they they um, mess around with their entire gardens to create the rocky terrains or the stuff like that. Uh, and oh, it's it, I, I just love the creativity. Uh, I, I love from that it. some some of them where you they you see the picture and they zoom back and it's just going to essentially a pile of dirt um, yeah. with some small shrubs and stuff. It's it's very cool still. I mean, my favourite picture of the lot, and it, and it's not trying to do the diorama, but just the detail on the vehicle itself is the Toyota Chinook RV by Richard Lutz. It's basically a pickup that someone's thrown a, a camper thing on the top of, oh, and it's, it's missing the back wheel trim. The back wheel looks a little flatter than the front, and it's a bit rusty and dented and so it just looks the the detail i know i keep saying that but it is amazing and it's brilliant it's a bit similar to that diorama one that we linked mm. to a few uh, a month or so ago that was on instagram where the the chap was was creating like they did the petrol station yeah uh, and that it's this this is the sort of thing that we're coming at it from and i just love the the fact that people are so artistic and they have this vision and they're able to actually execute it uh, and they can, they can see this in their mind's eye and create it. It's brilliant. It's very cool. I'm I'm more than a little bit jealous, to be honest. It's, it's very cool stuff. If you do nothing else, go to the link in the show notes and then scroll down to you get to Smiggin's Folly Rules and Regulations and read the sign, the tiny sign that has been created there, uh, particularly the second that. point that is <laughs> it's in there that made me chuckle. <laughs> And but you said that, not me. Oh, yeah, clear, but there's yes. there's videos as well down further down uh, from that as well. It's, it's it's a really good, uh, really good article with lots of stuff to to explore and spend some time. It's almost like a second lunchtime read. Really, it really yes, it, it is. It is borderline that. No, it's awesome. Great stuff. Love it. Ah, oh. that's us back now. Yes, it's been good to be back. Actually, yes. Anything else for this week? Thank you so much for the. As I say, thank you so much for your feedback uh, for mm-hmm. four special editions we put out. We've got another couple coming up. At, at some point, we need to record them. Yes. So, yes, we've got some more stuff queued up for that. Next week, we shall be back to a normal Tuesday recording. Normal these days, meaning lunchtime, UK time, mm-hmm. just out of bed time for me. Alan's the one sacrificing. Which is, I mean, to be honest, podcasting with a coffee is not the same as podcasting with beer, but I feel it's a little early in the morning for that. <laughs> That would be so a will bad, your employer. slippery slope. 
Anyway, on which note, let's let's round out before I say anything too embarrassing. And folks, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter as well, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-I-E-D-L-E-Y. As I said, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. At Safe Motoring. <laughs>